you know, the most atomic concept of, the, of our tradition is consent of the governed. That's the first thing. We're, we're either going to have a, a authoritarian society, we're going to have one where government gets its just power, derives its just power from our consent. And as that consent is derived through a set of a bunch of rules and an algorithm called the Constitution. Well, if we give up on that, you're giving up. It's the last thing you can give up. It's done. We're done skiing. And I've lived in the kind of country, the goons. That I've, I've lived in many countries run by goons. And some of you, uh, both of you have spent time in such countries. And I've never saw anything I want to see here. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. Welcome to the Left of Greg podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Left of Greg podcast. I'm Brian Marin, the host and creator of the show. As always, I will be joined by human behavior expert, Mr. Greg Williams, who the show is affectionately named after. Here on the Left of Greg show, our goal is to increase your advanced critical thinking ability through a better understanding of what we call human behavior, pattern recognition, and analysis. If you'd like to find out more about what that is, you can check the episode details. If you have any questions or would like us to cover a specific topic, please reach out to us at leftofgreg at gmail.com. Today, we're joined by one of the most interesting people we have ever had on the show, Patrick Byrne. Patrick is a billionaire, former CEO of Overstock.com. He's a philosopher, and he's also the author of the book, The Deep Rig, which tells the story of his ongoing investigation into the 2020 presidential election voting irregularities. A few months ago, Greg and I spent some time with Patrick, and we found him to be an intelligent, genuine person who was fun to talk to. Naturally, we wanted to have him on the podcast, and so now, several months later, Patrick agreed to come on the show and discuss the book he just wrote. We get into a lot of areas during the episode, including Patrick's meeting with Donald Trump in the White House, election rigging, his relationship with Maria Butina, free speech, public discourse, and even reveals to us a new bombshell piece of evidence regarding election results in Arizona that hasn't been previously released. At the end of the show, Greg and I stayed on to record our thoughts on the interview. You can listen to a short clip of the conversation. If you enjoyed it, you can head over to the Left of Greg Patreon page to hear the rest. Thank you for tuning into the show, and please don't forget to subscribe, share it with your friends, and follow us on our new Left of Greg Instagram page. You can find all of those links and more in the episode details. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. morning and thanks for coming on patrick we really appreciate uh, you coming on the podcast today I'm, it's an honor to be here with you brian thank you so much um so i know we kind of heard in the intro that uh we, we we'd briefly met before a couple months ago we had some great conversations and um so we've sort of been in touch with some of your folks and love to have you come on because you just came out with this book you know the deep rig which i know we want to get into and talk about so um, kind of want to start there if you're good. If you want to take a couple minutes and first, I, oh, say, I didn't know if I could say, but I did meet you folks through one of your training courses, and it was fantastic. I highly recommend it. I was with a bunch of people in it, and I went through it, and I think it was very useful. Uh, few days of our time. In fact, just the other day, a couple of us were talking about how much we use the skills that you that we exercise with you. So. It, that's that's awesome. I can't uh, high props on your training. I, I appreciate it, and we're we're starting off the the podcast with with an endorsement. So I I, I think it it that's a good place to start, as far as I'm concerned. And it's not a paid endorsement for a change. <laughs> yeah, that's also a good thing. Thank you. So so oh, there's the book. So so Greg Greg and I read it. Um, uh, you you got it up right here. We'll have links to it in the episode details for those listening, but. You know, give, give our listeners an, an overview, you know, give us a few minutes or whatever you need to and explain, you know, what what you think happened, why you wrote this and, and everything that went into it. And then we can kind of jump into some of the topics from there. Fair enough. Thank you. Well, first thing to know, because CNN was talking about me last night as this ardent Trump supporter, I'm a straight up libertarian. I've never voted Republican or Democrat. I'm, I did not vote for Donald Trump. I did. I vote libertarian and, and saves me. But uh, I'm not was never a Trump hater by any means. And I, I agree with him on a lot of policies. And the truth is, even though I didn't vote for him, I, I've become fond of much fonder of him in recent months. So setting that aside, and I, I spent four hours with him, as the world knows, in, in December. And my feelings about him changed. I realized anyway. Uh, I was so I'm a, has nothing to do with Donald Trump. This has to do with America. I'm a I'm a 
a big believer in our republic, and I think that we are seeing it. We're you know exhausted if we don't. And, and, and the most atomic concept of the of our tradition is consent of the governed. That's the first thing. We're, we're either going to have a, a authoritarian society. We're going to have one where government gets its just power, derives its just power from our consent. And as that consent is derived through a set of bunch of rules and an algorithm called the Constitution. Well, if we give up on that, you're giving up. It's the last thing you can give up. It's done. We're done skiing. And I've lived in the kind of country, the goons. That I've, I've lived in many countries run by goons. And some of you, uh, both of you have spent time in such countries. And I never saw anything I want to see here. So uh, that's where I'm coming from. I, although I want to be clear, I'm not a Donald Trump hater. And in fact, I think I figured out what my feelings are. My feelings are I've come to love the people who love Donald Trump. That's really the right way to. So there must be something to the guy because the people who love Donald Trump are the right are the are are my people, and I and he's done something good. To, so anyway, what happened? All this and arguing about well, there was no widespread fraud. There was no widespread fraud. That's all. It's besides point is to steal America, you don't need widespread fraud. There are 3,006 counties in America. And it, you don't have to cheat in 3,006 counties. You got to cheat in six counties and to steal America. And that's because those six counties have a special position. They are the anchor counties of swing states. So if you, if you cheat there like crazy and you flip that you flip the state, you flip the electoral college, and you do that with six of them, you flip the nation. So you can steal the nation. To steal a nation of three, in summary, to steal a nation of 3,006 counties, you don't have to cheat in 3,006. You got to cheat in six. Now, what are those six that share this property? They're the anchors. And I want to, when you're in real estate, they talk of a mall as having an anchor tenant. If you go to the mall and that great big box is Home Depot, they say that's the anchor tenant of the mall. The others are the well, the, the six anchor counties of which I speak, well, let me speak in terms of the cities. They are Las Vegas, which has 66% of the population of Nevada. It is Phoenix, which has 64% of the population of Arizona, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philly, and Atlanta. And those six places have this special property. Now, something unusual and unprecedented happened on the night of November 3rd, something I've never seen in US history during an election. What was the odd thing that happened on the night of the election, gentlemen? Anyone remember? A pause. The pause, three hour pause. You know, where there in six places, there was a three hour pause. The six places were Las Vegas, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Detroit, Philadelphia, and Atlanta. Gee. If only there were a pattern, <laughs> you know, so that and that pause of three hours and counting, you'll find that these there have been election fiascos in other countries and election scandals. And it's associated with that same thing that you'll you'll have a pause. Basically, when a goon is in power and doesn't want to lose power, he brings in these electronic systems. And there's almost invariably this event where. There's an election and they pause the counting and the guys below. And then when they open, oh, what do you know? He's shot above. And then he just holds it the rest of the way. And it's happened in other countries. And it happened really in those six places. Those, And that's not all a coincidence. And so we had, we reverse engineered. I got together. Truth is, I was working on this since August with a bunch of cyber guys who expected something like this to happen. Cyber guys, lawyers, investigators. And this tells the story. I was, I everything I just told you, I knew in October. And I was still thinking they were kind of, I don't know what to think of them, but this was a prediction they were making that you're going to see if there's a steal, you're going to see this very unusual thing where they stop counting. And they, there were a couple African countries. This happened, happened in the Philippines, happened, I think in uh, Serbia. So they predicted, they told me all this. And on November 3rd, everything they told me had ha happened. And it happened in exactly the six cities that it had to happen if you were going to cheat and to steal the country. So from that point forward, I've been involved. It absolutely was stolen. It's not even to me a serious question at this point, but the facts will be coming out. We're right at the point. I mean, in the next four weeks, you're Mike Lynn. Uh, so I, I'm jumping ahead of myself. So I wrote this book. This describes how I got into it. 
what I found very carefully, methodically, what we learned at each juncture, but and the foreign involvement, there's absolute foreign involvement in this. This was a foreign attack on our country. So there are now there's domestic elements involved too, cooperating, but it's foreign. And then, so that's sort of half the book, figuring it out and figuring out what happened. The second half of the book is the story of trying to interact with Washington. And I'm a lifelong entrepreneur and God bless you folks who work in government. And I really mean it because libertarians aren't supposed to like government people, but actually I've been, have to say, honestly, very impressed over, I don't feel that way anymore about government people, but there's something really wrong with how government works. And we had everything sorted out but mucking around with the political class in Washington, and in particular, the Republican political class, and no offense to any good Republicans, but Jesus, do not give another dollar to the Republican Party. It's a total waste. It's a bunch of grifters, fat cats, schemers. People raise 300 Right at this point is where we had some connectivity issues with Patrick, but we were able to get him back on and pick up the conversation where we left off. Maybe someone was listening in and they they didn't like what they heard. Yeah, your last comment was not to make a donation to him. Yeah, yeah. not to make a donation. The, the Republican Party was a, at the elite level is everything that the Democrats say. It's a bunch of grifters and fat cats. Nobody believes in anything. People in it for themselves. You know, raising tens of millions, $300 million came in to the Republican Party on stop the steal. We're going to stop the steal. That's all sitting in a pot. That didn't help. None of that. Not a dollar of that. I was on the ground through the whole fight. Not a dollar of that got to help anything. It's a bunch of, bunch of fat cats licking their lips over it is what's going on. And that so I'm really disgusted with the Republican Party. There needs to be a revolution where the Republican Party is taken over, frankly, but from by Republicans. Now, one of the things that, Brian, if I can jot yeah, back yeah, go ahead, to, please. Go ahead. to early January, uh, uh, it was sometime right after January 6th uh, uh, that we met you uh, in person for the very first time. And uh, there's there's two things that are that are jogging for uh, 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 the lead dog in the sled here. One is a fundamental attribution error and one is confirmation bias. Uh, we didn't know that you were going to be part of a class and we had a, a very interesting class. Uh, uh, great stuff that we do, our human behavior pattern recognition analysis. And you talk about patterns all the time. And so all of a sudden we're in this chance meeting in the hotel hallway and they go, oh, by the way, this is Patrick Byrne. He's going to be in the class. And you know me, I'm the uh, village idiot from a very small village of Gunnison. I said, oh, that's great. I love the talking heads thinking that you were, you know, the lead singer. And then, you know, <laughs> Brian, Brian has to educate me. No, a uh, billionaire, scientist, genius, philosopher, everything else. So the, the funny thing is that that uh, you had a quote that I that I that stuck with me from that very first time that we met. And the quote is the core principle of our system is con uh, consent uh, of the governed as determined by the elections that are free, fair and transparent. And I don't think this election was free, fair and transparent. So I'm doing something thought that was really noble that that's that's patriot talk. Then uh, uh, you asked us a couple of questions, and usually we're not put on that. We usually we're on transmit, not on receive. And you asked us a couple of questions and made it stop for a minute and think. So I'm thinking as a fellow intellectual, I I'm looking at it, and, and I hate saying that because that ju just dumbs the whole show down. I'm thinking, okay, normally when I hear conspiracy theories, uh, and, and pardon me for using that, that term, because listen, having you on the show, you know, we're a very laser focused show. Having you on the show can be very good for ratings, or it could be the death knell, depending <laughs> on who you are, you know, context is everything. And, and, uh, so, uh, normally when we hear, uh, stuff, it's from a, a person who's bona fides, our cryptozoologist, you know, a Bigfoot expert in resident or something like that. And then, uh, Marin walks up and, and Marin's a genius and everything. And he goes, here's this guy's bona fides. And clearly, you're 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 a modern day Marcus Aurelius. You're a, a modern day Jefferson uh, in, in in some ways. But then still, people are attacking you, saying, "Hey, listen, there's no way." And so you you sent us Deep Rig, and I thought it was a, a movie script. I'm thinking uh, I already got the actors in my mind. You know, it's a leak off the coast, and they send this team of experts in a helo, and it ends up it ends up being your book. And I I have to be. Uh, uh, it was a fast read. It's one of those, Marin and I get a lot of books to read that they ask us to comment on. It was a fast read and it had all these pullouts. It was like pop-up video, the old uh, uh, thing where, hey, take a look at this, take a look at that and all that other stuff. So you lay out a case 
like a master investigator. You lay out a case like a, a Sherlock Holmes, uh, but there are going to be people, The but uh, everything after that is suspicious. There's going to be people that say, hey, this is way too convenient. This is way uh, uh, too clever of a, a manipulation. What are you going to say to people and by the way, the huge reviews, I just checked again this morning, you got very good reviews on it. Uh, 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 what are you going to say to those folks that say, hey, listen, this is a little too convenient. It's, it fits a little too well uh, uh, in all of the ice cube trays. Good, good metaphor. It's, uh, you know, sometimes the, sometimes the truth looks like the truth. And if it looks <laughs> like the truth for them, I guess I don't know what to say. Uh, as far as conspiracy theories, this is a conspiracy reality. What's different about some of the things I've said is like my involvement with Maria Butina is not a theory. You have a wit, they have a witness for now until they blow me up. They have a witness who's a, who has participated in things. So, so it's not a theory. You know, they can say I'm lying. They can say I'm fabricating, but it's not a theory. I'm saying I'm a witness to certain things. As far as, as far as how convenient this works, it is funny. You read it and you think, ah, there must have been, you know, well, uh, someone might think that there were thousands. We're saying there was some conspiracy of thousands of people. Nothing could be farther from the truth. It's quite interesting how they did it. It's quite Leninist Maoist. There's clearly Lenin Maoist influence. You know, Marx thought everything was movements from the masses. And it was Lenin who said, you really can't count on mass movements. They have to have these small enlightened groups, which lead them, the, the Leninist. So they had six in Georgia. Now, those six are out there finding their Ruby Freemans. And you don't need many. You know who Ruby Freeman was? She was the woman who worked in the Atlanta poll, uh, polling area who made videotapes where she's confessing, committing fraud. And her, da- her daughter was the one pulling those ballots out from under the suitcases of ballots out from under the, the desk when everyone was out gone. That's been played. Uh, so, it, but it really a small, cohesive elite group in each state could have pulled this off with, you know, with people willing to go along with it, working in the polling areas, but not, not too many. And I mean, anyway, the, the structure of how this was done is going to be something that uh, somebody with a warrant can put together someday. But no, this isn't, I think you walk through the deep rig, it pretty show, it shows to pull this jujitsu move, you don't need tens of thousands of people in a conspiracy. It's actually quite jujitsu of them, how they, how small and organized and, and clever it was. I almost, I'm, I'm become very friendly with Mike Flynn and Mike, sometimes we laugh. We say, you almost want to tip your hat to whoever pulled this off. It was really. So in, and in the book, you, you lay all this stuff out. And I know it, a lot of this, it, I try to take it from just a complete lay person's uh, you know, perspective of just one, we've got these cyber people saying all this stuff. We've got some, uh, uh, you know, a, a either economist or statistician going over things. And it's like, okay, that's kind of, it's, it's hard for people to see and understand it, right? In general, you're going like, hey, come on, that's big. And so you start right off saying, well, you don't need to do something at scale. You only need to do these, these few steps. And I, I get that. That's from a, I take that from a targeting perspective. Okay, I want to do this. Where do I target? Where's the best bang for my buck? What's the cost-benefit analysis? You identify those weak points. You can say, well, all we need to do is exploit these. Um, but still with this, you know, I, I always go by, we, we take a, a complete clinical approach to everything that we do, right? You've seen it in person, in class, how we dissect certain things and you go, wow, I never really saw it from that perspective. And I, I try to say, you know, I, I don't care about anything other than what what's stated in the evidence. And you have a lot in the book, right? There's a lot of these these odd these anomalies. There's things that need to be explained and investigated, right? Uh, it, wh- wh- whichever way you stand on it, it has to be like, well, let's take a look at this, right? A reasonable person would say, okay, what is this irregularity? I don't know anything about election fraud other than it happens all the time and it's usually at a pretty small scale. So, so what what do we compare that to? And with all of this stuff that you bring up in the book, you know, you lay everything out, but to me. It's almost what's missing, so to speak, is that connective fiber, right? What is, if this was an organized attempt, like, like we said, by whoever, right? There's going to be indicators there, or there has to be a thing. And, and I, what, we, what happens sometimes, what I see, and this is especially st- stuff like, take a guy like you just mentioned, Mike Flynn, 
Um, I don't know him personally, never met him, never worked for him, but I do have people that whose opinions I trust that worked directly for him or with him. And they're like, look, I don't care what he says about all this stuff. Like I knew him in his position as counterterrorism and Intel. And the guy was brilliant. He was like an entrepreneur and he was a genius at it. And, and, and in order to do that, right. In order to be a really, really good, especially Intel analyst, I have to be able to see things that other people can't see, right. I have to be able to connect dots uh, where other people don't see connections. But the thing is, I'm usually going after a specific person or group or threat, whatever that is, so I can keep it contained to this box, right? Sometimes what I see happen is people who think and see like that, they then apply it somewhere else. And then they go, no, see that the, 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 it's all connective. And, and you're going, well, it, it, what about randomness? What about, um, um, you know, these things all could, let's, let's assume everything you bring up in the book to be true. To me, that still doesn't mean it's connected. Now, I know to you, it's, it's like, dude, the, I, I've seen it. I'm on the ground working on it. So explain to me then to go, look, it, I, I literally read your stuff. So I'm going to assume all of this happened as you say it happened, right? And I'm just for the, for the purposes of hypothesis testing, I'm going to do that. And then even at the end, I went, well, well, hang on here. Some of these things could have happened independently and it could be by chance, circumstance, and you know, uh, just some something occurred. But since we're looking to find something, right? Uh, are we just confirming our bias? And so, because I think that you are being completely honest, I've met you, I've talked to you before and in person. I don't think you've probably, you know, you you you're everything you write is what you believe, right? I don't I don't think you're trying to do. You have some ulterior motive other than what your motive you've said it to be. I, I truly believe that from you because I've seen how you are and you're a genuine person. So I, I I know you believe it. So like almost make me believe, right? Okay, okay. Well, so first another I, I'll mention this because it's modestly relevant. So I got out of college and days later got diagnosed with cancer. I was filled with cancer. I basically spent my 20s either in hospitals or convalescing and back in hospital and such. So I, what do you do? I mean, I could not have possibly held a job. Stanford was terrific to me. And I know there's a lot of animosity now with academia, and so, but Stanford philosophy department was terrific to me. And they let me do a PhD in philosophy, mostly or much of it out of a hospital bed. And the U.S. Constitution, I really came to see, it's almost, I hear that this sounds blasphemous to some people. But to me, there's this wonderful tradition, the Judeo-Christian tradition, out of which emerged this political philosophy that is unique in world history. And to me, it's almost like that's my spiritual, well, that's my spiritual tradition. So that's where I'm coming from. I don't have an axe to grind. As far as why I think this happened, there were really, there's really a cocktail. So, you know, the first thing to look at is, well, so, for example, what shut those in, in those six specific cities, which happen to have this special electoral property, uh, the, the some, something shut down the vote counting? Well, what was it? In Atlanta, they had a pipe burst, a water main pipe burst in State Farm Arena in Atlanta, and they had to evacuate the arena in the middle of counting like it was some disaster movie. Well, it turned out on subsequent inspection that 12 hours earlier in the next base, in the next building in the basement, a urinal had overflowed. And, uh, you know, so, and that's all there really was, but on that basis, they got everyone out of Atlanta. So you go into what they actually shut these places down for, and it's, you know, did the pipes know just which cities to break in, things like that, it gets silly. But going beyond that stuff, there's really a cocktail of techniques. And some of the techniques were retail, the stuff somewhere in wholesale and somewhere industrial. And by retail level fraud, I mean having a few hundred dead people in Philadelphia vote. By wholesale or uh, by wholesale level fraud, I'm talking about there are ways that tens of thousands of of illegitimate votes can get cast. And just and I'll be continuing, but let me give you a footnote on that point. About six weeks ago, a Democratic judge in Mississippi, in a case involving two Democrats, one suing the other, found that in, in last year's election, in that congressional district of Mississippi, which is what the judge looked at, this Democratic judge found that of the mail-in, of the absentee ballots that came in, what percentage of them were fake, would you guess? 
5%? Did we get double digits? What, what, what do you think they found? I, I would say typically that stuff is pretty low. So like right. one to 3%, you know, was 78%. Uh, look it up. Six weeks ago, a Aberdeen, Mississippi judge, Democrat case involving one Democrat suing another found now the election in question was last year's June primary. So the June primary in Mississippi, a Democrat judge said 78% of the absentee ballots from the Democrats were, were fraudulent. So do we imagine that they maybe forgot how to do that by November? So, so there's, so, so I would call that in wholesale level fraud. And then there's industrial level fraud. See, I think what happened was they cheated and they, they mixed the cocktail differently in the different places, depending on local opportunity, I suppose. But one thing that's consistent was what they did was they used all these methods of cheating what they could. And then at the end of the day, whatever left they need, whatever they needed that was remained, they actually just could flip through a cyber attack. And that is the industrial level where hundreds of thousands in each of those six cities, I think you're going to find hundreds of 300 to 800,000 illegitimate votes. And that cyber attack, uh, I know quite a bit about it and I'm being careful about it right now. And Mike Lindell is out there. I see he went out yesterday and he's saying there's this third case, there's this case coming. He now says it's four or five weeks out. Um, But he says this is going to be nine to nothing. The Supreme Court will be nine to nothing. Mike Flynn, I mean, not Mike Flynn, Mike Lindell's not talking through his hat. He knows what he's talking about. I know the data he's talking about quite well. <clears throat> and when this gets presented to the Supreme Court, if this is not a nine to nothing decision, it means we have some dirty members on the Supreme Court. Because when you look at this data and understand its provenance, there is no question, and it alone counts for. Uh, all six of those states being flipped. And it's just it's just the last industrial technique they used after they exhausted all the retail and, and wholesale level and they still needed to make up votes. They came in with a cyber attack. We have all the cyber information. We have the forensics, the packet, the traffic, everything. Stand up in court. And Mike Lindell, when he says the Supreme Court's going to look at this and they're going to decide nine to nothing, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, who can predict the Supreme Court? But there's no legitimate reason after they after this data is exposed. You just, you know, it's it's open and shut, black and white. We have the computers. And the, the implications of this, and I might as well throw this out there. I don't want to get too far ahead of the crowd. But the implications of this are so far reaching because it turns out the data shows this has been going on on a small scale since 2004. And in 2020, 2020, they went big and they stole the presidential. But since 2004, somebody has been conducting cyber, uh, using cyber techniques. They have been flipping congressional seats as small. You know, I think there's going to we're going to make all this data available to the public with tools to research it. And I think a generation of Ph.D. candidates are going to go through it and discover and start wondering why is it that somebody who had the power to stepped in into a race in Iowa in 2010 and they flipped this congressional seat from this guy to that guy? What was the policy difference? Somebody has been monkeying around in our election since 2004 with, and we have, we have, we have it. We have the hardcore well, evidence. So, so, so Patrick, if what, why is there so much, push back on this why are you getting you know you're you you're booted off twitter you know earlier in the year you're all these other things and and people aren't covering this like you typically do because you say we have all this evidence and even but sometimes when you bring it up like even you just said about that case in mississippi you know 78 percent of absolute absentee balance were fraudulent but to me i go well what does it mean by a fraudulent ballot like did the person fill out their name wrong or something you, you get what i'm saying like there, there there's different ways to look at these and then when you're getting with, with foreign interference stuff too like one, first of all, I, I expect all kinds of for, like there's if, if China and Russia and these countries aren't trying to mess with our elections and what are they Something's really doing? Wrong. Right. Right. Because, you, you know, so so not that it's OK. I'm just there. There's certain things in here. Why isn't that stuff covered? Because the bigger you go with this. Right. You gave examples. I like your retail, wholesale and, and industrial uh, level examples. Right. But if to, to to pull off all three tiers of those, you know, you're you're talking about a high level of organization, a high level of sophistication, 
And you, you get what I'm saying? It just, that's the hard part for a lot of people to kind of grasp onto. And, and Patrick, before you answer that, let me dovetail on that because Brian, that's a great point. I think that you're bringing in and, and this smacks of asymmetric warfare. Okay. And the other thing is, uh, the way you write, everything reads like a spy thriller, and, and we know that there's going to be the promise of future revelations. And, and I would caution people that, that haven't read it. Listen, d- don't start throwing stones, glass houses, unless you read it and you start looking up your own stuff. Uh, when, when I read the Nostradamus quatrains, my, my neighbor, Danny Munns, you know, came over and said, oh, this guy predicted everything. And it was, you know, the blue heron sleeps in the uh, unfettered nest. And, and it could mean anything. That's not what you're doing at all. And you're not pulling the PT Barnum CD egress. You're not doing that at all. You're laying it out there. You're exposing your jugular and you're putting out artifacts and evidence to support your conclusion. And it's up to us to determine if that's a reasonable conclusion. So the question to, to, to dovetail on the Brian's is, Hey, if you knew about this in August or October, why didn't somebody do something about it? Why wasn't there a much more concerted effort? Well, first of all, I mean, uh, in October, there were briefings that cyber guys I was working with were briefing DHS and the state of Texas and DHS Washington. They were supposed to be going to DHS Washington to continue the briefing because the people in Texas agreed and were very concerned. DHS Washington shut it down and specifically an office in DHS called CISA, which is the cyber infrastructure the guys who are responsible for election, they shut down DHS briefings on this stuff. Now, as far as going to the data about this international attack and the layer that that all of them share, the industrial layer, there was a huge amount of uh, encrypted data involved. And there's been, you know, for four months, there's been many hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not a million dollars worth of computers sitting there humming, breaking some encryption which has all been broken. So that literally took several months of just a row of computers sitting and humming to break the encryption. So that's part of it. And all of this has taken, I mean, remember, well, my real answer to your question is a line from, who was it, Jonathan Swift? Jonathan Swift said, when a true genius appears in this world, we will know it by one sign. And that is all the dunces are in confederacy against them. So, I mean, the entire world has been out from Twitter and Facebook and all these people you name uh, trying to shut this down and you can't even discuss it and so forth. So everyone has lined up against it in a way that's really unprecedented in American history. The only thing I've ever seen like this in my life is in 2005 to 2008, I went public about Wall Street. I was a public company CEO. I've been asked to take part in various things. I mapped it all. I took it to the government. They did nothing. And I came out in 05 and started saying, Wall Street has a whole bunch of mischief going on. I know because I've been asked to take part. It's organized. It's centered on a certain hedge fund in Greenwich, Connecticut, but about two dozen constellation hedge funds. They are draining billions out of the system. The system's going to crack in a in a derivative uh, at a derivative risk. And by the way, the SEC and Wall Street are in bed together and the SEC is not, not protecting us folks. I came out in 05 and said that, and the newspapers like the New York Post ran photos of me with UFOs coming out of my head to suggest a conspiracy theory that the SEC and Wall Street were inappropriately close. That was conspiracy theory 15 years ago. Now it's, but it's a banality. Uh, so people who are saying they just see conspiracies and, you know, I've been through this process before. It should tell you something that the entire civilized world, so to speak, has lined up trying to snuff out this point of view. Since when did that happen in America? Usually we have this idea that a marketplace of ideas gets to the truth. When, you know, I saw Chris was funny. Here's a good story. Chris Cuomo called me on Monday and asked me on television last night on CNN. I, I mean, his producer did. And I said, fine. They call. They called yesterday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon, and they said, "Well, change of plans. So much going on. We can't. Uh, not no time to have you on CNN tonight." So I didn't go on last night. Chris Cuomo went on, and then he just talked about me for three minutes. I sent him a note this morning saying, "Gee, for a fellow who didn't have enough time to have me on his TV show last night, you sure spent a lot of time talking to me on your TV show last night." Uh, 
So, I mean, the, the propaganda effort that's going to bury this point of view is so blatant and so obvious that itself should be a, a trigger of sorts. And, and, and we see that especially with, you know, different media outlets have their own political agendas. I mean, they, they, they all do. I, I think, you know, people are kind of that that's the idea is everyone's kind of getting fed up with that, that way of doing things because it's not, they're, they're realizing now we're not getting the, the, the true message, but um, I think that's also how it's always been. Uh, there's, there's historical precedent for that. You know, you go all the way back to the Romans and, and it would, I want to hear, Hey, Pat, Patrick, go see what they have at the reading wall today and t- tell me what you think, you know, and then you're, I'm going to get a letter from my friend. I want that interpretation. So there, this is, this is kind of how, how it, how it's been for a while. And, you know, again, I go back to it. Who's going to do this? What's, what's the purpose? What's the intent behind it? Why? Because with a lot of these issues and, and the term conspiracy and conspiracy theory get thrown around way too loosely. And, and sometimes what is people cause is a big conspiracy really is just a couple people trying to make a few bucks or get ahead or get, you know what I'm saying? So, so there's, there's all of these actors at, at, at play. And, but my, my whole thing with this one, with the election is that it is, is who would do this and what would be their benefit from it? Because you don't necessarily have to do it. Like if you look at foreign, you know, information campaigns or disinformation campaigns, like Russia and China, they don't have to get us to think or do a certain thing. They just they just have to create disbelief, right? They they just have to get us to to not trust our institutions or not trust each other. Like that alone, that now it's gonna go where it's gonna go, but they don't care about that, right? They're gonna capitalize on the fact that we're all yelling and screaming at each other, right? That's their their goal. So so right. if it is something is something as serious as is is you know, ringing a presidential election, I mean, to me it's like, well. Well, who did it? And 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 if if they, how does it lead to that? And again, it goes back to that organization sophistication level. Like, what is that connective fiber that connects all of these different things that you found and articulated in your book? Well, one connective fiber is there's a shared worldview between three groups or among three groups, and that where worldview is a small group of elite people should make decisions for the masses. One group that believes that is the hard left in America. Another group that believes that is the technocratic elite in Silicon Valley. And the third group that believes that is the Chinese Communist Party. So those three groups have had a constellation of interests. And anyone who wants, you know, shoot South Park a few years ago was beautifully dissecting the the Chinese influence on the NBA, on newscasters, on everything. So if somebody, so China has a hand in this. I'm not saying that they pull the strings. And I happen to be a China, it's the wrong time to say this in American history. I'm by nature a China lover. I almost feel like, so I speak Chinese and my, my, a lot of my philosophical education is in Chinese. So I have great affection for Chinese and I feel terribly betrayed by a friend is how I feel. I'll, I'll, I feel anyway. So they're part of it. The goon left. You know, they've been talking about the alt right for years in America. I when I first heard the alt right, I thought they meant like Jordan Peterson or guys who want to talk about philosophy and history and such. So it was like alternative as opposed to just conventional Republicans. But all right now means something else to them. They, they somehow they think that can anyway. Um, Candace Owens and Jordan Peterson are racist because they want to talk about you know. Western traditions. Right. Um, I think that the same. So uh, I use now the term the goon left. We have to distinguish between the left and the goon left. You know, really, when I was a child on the right, something happened. It was William F. Buckley's influence on the conservative movement that he drew a guardrail and he said, no race identitarianism, anything beyond that. Any, any conservatism that, that touches that is no longer legitimate conservatism. It's beyond the pale. We don't have anything to do with it. That's never happened on the left. And Jordan Peterson has pointed that out. On the left, there is no line beyond which you can go, which you considered beyond the pale. You can be a, a crazy Marxist radical uh, that wants everybody in prison camps. And that's like, okay, I've been with people in Hollywood who talk this way. It's acceptable. They, they, they kind of preen on how far they say they're willing to go. There's no limit, no guardrail on the left that, that people cannot go beyond. Or on the right, 
and correctly. And I want to emphasize, we want, I want nothing to do with anyone who has anything to do with white identitarianism or anything to do with violence. We're going to show that why America is the exceptional country, because not only are we going to beat this, we're going to do beat this without firing a shot. I can't speak for the goons. I'm afraid the goons won't play so sportsmanlike, but we don't have to fire a shot. Information wins this war. Uh, talk. I'm sorry, Brian. Talk about information science. We we uh we had uh, Professor Nesbitt from Michigan on with his new book, Thinking, and one of the the things that he brought up is that the Democratic Party was completely caught flat-footed and off guard uh, back when uh, uh, Biden and, and Hillary Clinton were uh, running for office. They they never expected Trump uh, would be the candidate, nor did they expect he could get elected. So I think that's an interesting point, which leads to my next point is that Mike Lindell. So I've got two of Mike's pillows upstairs. I've been sleeping on them for years. Knew nothing about Mike Lindell, knew about the commercial, uh, got a lot of pain, don't sleep a lot. So I figured, hey, I'd, I'd get those. So here's a funny perspective. Lindell uh, used to bake the, the rock, uh, 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 got off of that, uh, changed his life, has a wonderful business that's going on. So everybody in my family, other than me, uh, I'm apolitical, is, is uh, Dem, uh, staunch died in the world Dem. So normally when you would have a story that was coming up where a person beat addiction and then became something of a, a, a you know, a, a, a businessman and made a lot of money and employed a lot of people, somebody would be proud of it. When I mentioned that I got the pill out and it was Mike Lindell, more, you would not imagine the hate that started coming across and the bile and the vitriol. And I was like, okay, if you want to foment turbidity, you just did it. I bought pillows from this guy. And the idea was, no, you don't understand what kind of person that, look, Brian and I met you. Okay. Brian and I spent time with you. We ate with you and drank a coffee with you. Uh, you're not uh, uh, the run of the mill person that somebody would say, Hey, this is a, a, a person that we would doubt their opinion. Uh, you're a billionaire. You've, you've had uh, huge businesses. You've had huge influence and stuff. I don't know anything from Lindell. Do, do me a favor, get him on the show. That's my shameless self-promotion. We love him <laughs> on the podcast. But the idea is that how do you account that there's no more, it's so divisive now that you're either for you or you're against you. Either you can read this book or you turn this book away and say it's it's hate speech and it's terrible. Why isn't there uh, uh, the intellectual capital, the, the the academia that's coming together and say, let's socialize these views and see what's going on? What happened to that? Great question. Our discourse has become so polluted is what happened. Our discourse, you know, there's certain rules that you used to learn sort of in philosophy one on how you're supposed to engage in a discussion. And so we can actually get somewhere. There's certain things called fallacies that, you know, like ad hominem attacks, just burn, you're fat and ugly and we don't like you. And you're, you know, that's at at the person ad hominem attack. And you learn, so you have to rule all those out to even participate in an adult discussion. You have to follow these rules. And I think about how, gosh, fall of 1981, I'm a freshman in philosophy class learning this and, and internalizing it. Well, somewhere along the way, our society has jettisoned those rules of our discourse and our discourse has been so degraded and it's just become a lot, you know, I, people I think of as, I was happy to be back in New England just a week ago with somebody who is a die, not a diehard Republican, a lifelong Republican, lifelong Republican, probably never voted for anything but Republican in his life, but boy, did he get worked up on Donald Trump. And Trump just hates Trump, or but he's become a lefty. I can't believe it. it's become a social justice lefty, and he's and but anything you try to talk to him about, he said, "Well, you know, Donald, but Trump, Trump, Trump. Did you hear about Trump?" And it's there's a there's a people sometimes to mock such people. They say orange man bad. It's like the only thing that can come out of their mouth. You can make any argument you want. You say yeah, but orange man bad. I like the little robots, and. That's where the left is today. It's almost impossible to have an adult conversation with people on the left. So, I, so I, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but I, I absolutely believe it's on, on both sides here. I think everyone sure. is very, very hypocritical and intellectually lazy. And, and what, what happened with, because it was the same thing I saw the same, I equate 
when we talk about behavior, like I'm the expert in behavior. That's what I stick to. You know, we can have, that's how I apply these lenses and I look at things through, right? So to me, people who fall in these buckets, like if you're, if you're uh, Antifa or you're uh, like a white supremacist, but you're the same person to me, right? So you're so far out on the spectrum, you're looking for different psychological, physiological, and sociological needs, and you found your group, meaning- I, I could, the guy who joins Antifa, I could get that same guy to join a, a, a you know, a white supremacist movement. Just to, to me, it's the same, it's the same thing when you're talking about behavior, right? Your, your motivation is different. Sex, your, your ideology is different, but, but in, in terms self-esteem. of what you're doing. Yeah. Low self-esteem, bitterness, often yeah. if you haven't been passed over, some and, resentment accumulated. It's the same personality type, the authoritarian well, personality. All that. And and then what you also have, too, is um, what I saw a lot with Trump, too, because I don't I didn't I don't I don't think he's a good leader. Now, regardless of where he is on policies, I just didn't think he was a good leader because that, he, I, you know, coming from the military, you learn leadership principles and traits and he just didn't demonstrate those. Right now, there's different reasons for that. But he's a politician. And I, I you know what I mean? So I, I get it. Well, you know, or he, and he came up and what he was doing. But the idea is what I saw, what, what, what I thought was just insane was some of the stuff you were talking about. Because here's the thing is that, you know, this is some, some basic psychological needs. If I'm living in some, if I feel like I'm living in some oppressed society. So let's take some like third world country, you know, where they've got a brutal dictator in charge and I'm living there. Um, no matter what's going on in my life, I get to, I have someone that I get to blame for everything. I got to, I get a shitty relationship with my wife. Well, I wouldn't if this guy wasn't in charge. You know, my kids are, you know, assholes. Well, no, they wouldn't be if this guy wasn't in charge, right? So it allows me to just just deflect all of my responsibilities and project them right onto that individual. And now I have this single point of focus. Well, Trump became that person for a lot of people, which blew my mind because I'm sitting here going like, you can't blame everything on the guy who's in the president of the United States. Like they don't have that much of an effect on your daily life. But it became thrown that way. And so now what's happening is the same thing. Now Biden is that person for everyone on the right. Well, it's because he's doing that. And so I look at that as just being intellectually lazy. And like you just brought up with discussing this stuff, there are actual, there's there's a process for having a discussion and you have to show evidence and you have to explain that evidence. You have to explain it in a manner that's common sense. And then you have to lay it out. Like there's ways to debate this. And we're absolutely missing that a lot right now, I think, especially at scale. At scale, and you know what's really the villain? I have to say the university system. Yes. I I know people who've come out of great universities these days, in their 20s or their early 30s, and their inability to have what I consider an adult conversation on a subject is shocking to me. Basically, what they've learned is to say, but what about this? Isn't your emotional reaction to this the same as my emotional reaction? And over, and you say, well, okay, let's talk about the incentives. Let's talk about it. And they say, but what about that? I have this emotional reaction. Don't you have that emotion? It's just a series of emotional reactions. No first principles. No, how do you reason through something? It's just they've learned to have emotional reactions and be a set. And it's got somebody of the, so I, I do, uh, so, it's been many decades since I've hung around sort of in Christian communities. I was raised a real serious Catholic and such, but I'm kind of went my own way as a late teenager. I'm around the Christian communities a lot these days. And what I'm discovering is a, they remember all the principles B they've already got the grassroots organization and they know what's coming for them. So I am very much a fan these days. Uh, but C they, uh, they've pointed out to me how demonic some of this is. And when you think of these people, remember when Trump got elected and there were these videos of just, you know, people on the street going, ah, you know, it's like demons are possessing them. We can't even uh, have adult conversations. It's, it's deranged trying to talk to, for, for me on the most part, not, not, you know, I've never thought of myself as of the right. I'm a libertarian, but to me, the activist left has become just deranged and full of emotional reactions that you can't. So here's, you know, here, Obama built these cages for kids and that famous picture that got everyone that was actually, you know, that, that, that was actually taken in 2014, but they played it in the middle of Trump's presidency. So Trump had 2000 kids in cages and that's terrible. And this, and that, well, now I, last I heard there's like 10 or 12,000 kids in cages 
why isn't that on the cover of time? Right. And, and that, that definitely plays out. We've seen that, especially down in the border stuff. We, we played and trained and done stuff down along the border for years. And we see how those policies change over time and what the administration, when it makes new policy, what it really does down there. And, and then, of course, that takes time to, to play out. So now it's the next administration's fault when they didn't cause anything. Brian, is by any chance the effect of the policy, is the intended effect of the policy different than what actually eventually happens in the is okay. that what happened? I, th- I think that happens quite a bit in our in our country, and and that's that's the issue why Greg and I rail against different type of knee jerk reactions and how we have to have investigations about stuff is because you know you you're you're going into look at a lot of the problems we have right now in different cities with law enforcement and mass incarceration. This is from policies from 20, 30 years ago. We're just seeing them today. So mm-hmm. when we when we institute, yeah, and if we if we exactly if we if we if we we're putting in some type of policy to do something, it's going to take a long time for, for it to actually take effect. And, you know, you brought up some interesting points too about universities. And I think a lot of that, you know, cause you even brought about Jordan Peterson and a few other folks They're they're kind of, no one had that, right. I always look to what's the future of this stuff. Well, kids 10, 20 years ago, they couldn't jump on YouTube and see his lectures or listen to stuff like that. They didn't have an alternate viewpoint. And even the guy we we talked to yesterday, he's a brilliant, brilliant psychologist. He's done a ton of great work. He was at the University of Michigan. He goes, look, I, I'm going to be honest, the academic community, you're either a lefty or a far lefty. And, and we laughed and he laughed. And he was like that. Look, I worked for the Democrats back in 2016. Like that's that that's when people are saying that that's that's true he's like that's how we're not getting this back and that was one of his now in the end of his career is going you know we weren't getting anything from from the other side it was all just reinforcing our own beliefs yeah you know, i'm sorry go ahead right uh, one one of the thing my moral outrage meter is going off and i want to make sure i throw in a couple of comments that the future battlefield is going to be between society's ears uh, because what we've done is we've created social media as the the newest form of cyber warfare. And I think that anybody would do uh, themselves good to read that, uh, read your book, uh, because the idea is that you lay out a, 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 an argument, a case, okay, in the deep rig for this type of thinking. Uh, NATO just did a white paper. And in the NATO white paper, they're talking about uh, a form of cyber warfare that's in cognition. You know, we're sending out messages, whether it's in social media or text or Twitter or whatever else. And uh, people are only scanning headlights anyway, uh, headlines anyway. So if they start believing uh, uh, that, then we can win them over without having to, to uh, lift a lot of weight and invest a lot of calories. And I think that's an important thing to look at, especially if you're going to attack academia and say, hey, in colleges, there's only one laser focused message and that doesn't open us up. And, and, and uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of philosophy when it comes to stoicism for modern day, but I certainly am uh, uh, having public discourse and certainly talking about it. And we've lost that. It's it's a, like a protracted Jerry Springer episode. Right. So uh, I, I just want to throw that out. And one, yeah, but one we are we are getting that with podcasts of having these conversations. I mean, that yeah, is yeah, yeah. that is the pendulum going the other direction. Yeah. I love it. I've become such a fan of intelligent podcasts. This is where the the discourse is really being conducted. Yeah. So yeah. And, and left to Greg is hopefully one of those. And, and one quick thing: the the FBI. Uh, uh, encouraged you to have sex with a Russian agent. I have to throw this out there because I know that we're going to run up uh, 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 out of time here soon, Brian. I used that in my first marriage as the excuse, Patrick, and it didn't work <laughs> worth a shit. So I'm wondering how you got that to work because that didn't help me at all. I came home drunk one night and used those exact words, mind you, and it didn't get me an inch. Well, first of all, let me mention Maria Boutina is a fine, wonderful woman. And we right. saw each other two different periods. And in the first period, it was, it, she made clear she had real feelings for me and we had a, a uh, relationship. Uh, in the second period, when when the F, when I was being specifically instructed to rekindle this, I actually created, as you're going to be here, as, well, I actually created a bit of a sting, so to speak. And I actually reported that I was sleeping with her and doing things. And I actually treated her like a like the czar's granddaughter because I knew it was all going to be exposed someday. And I created a bit of a sting of my own. And I treated her like the most perfect gentleman so that when they went to her, I'm told that when they went to her in prison 
And they, I, I went into the DOJ two years ago and I explained what really happened in the origins of Russiagate and everything. And my understanding is they went into Maria in prison and they said, what are you, and she said, what are you talking about? This guy was the most perfect gentleman to me. I've never had a man treat me. He, was, he treated me like a princess. But so just, you know, I don't want to, she's a, she's a fine young woman who has had her, her name smeared. And I think that she's probably the finest Russian I ever met. She's gone back. So anyway, I, I needed to throw that in for Maria. Uh, yeah, it didn't, it, it, well, for, I should also mention I'm a 58 year old bachelor. I had no, no wife, no girlfriend. So it wasn't like I was anybody cared. I, so, I like my freedom. We'll see what there we can go. do. Well, I, I kind of, you know, I, I don't want to, I know you've got a, a kind of a hard stop here in, in a few more minutes, but I kind of want to know where, where, where are you going with this and what is your overall intent and in getting this stuff out there? And, you know, it's continuing. You say you've got all this other stuff. There's more information going to be released. And, you know, I, so what, what do you have in mind? Where does this lead to for you? What would be that goal that you're trying to get to? My perfect outcome. So I think in June, a lot of things are going to come out. I think the government may be going full goon in June, but I think that a lot of information is coming out before July 4th. That really makes this open and shut. I think what has to happen is either the states pull enough states look into it and they they pull their electoral votes or the Supreme Court decides to show up for work. They betrayed our country once in 1937 when they when Roosevelt threatened to pack them unless they changed the Constitution, e.g. Wickard v. Filburn. But uh, I think what they should do is they, they're going to have to step up and there, there's got to be a new election. There's no way to unscramble this election in those six states. Maybe you rerun the election in six states. Maybe you rerun it in 50 states. But the Supreme Court has to act if we're going to save our country. Because the evidence will come out before July 4th, before July 4th, that in any sane world should make this a nine to nothing Supreme Court decision. And I know that that's kind of been in this is this has been my issue with it just to for you to understand is that like every time it's oh well we've got this new piece of news oh well we've got this coming out next and i'm like i i get it but what it, it's almost like it's now become like here's the story but we got to keep the story going and i think that's why a lot of people look at it that way you, you get what i'm saying and i'm again it's just nothing progress. against you just there's, just trying to take that clinical approach just be aware there's progress look there was a 1.6 billion dollar case filed against dominion there's uh, there's stuff going on in Maricopa. A week ago, the Senate sent a letter to the Maricopa Audit Board saying, it, already we have developed three lines of questioning that aren't making any sense about what we're finding. And the Maricopa Election Board gave a measly answer and then said, we're not going to answer any more questions. I think the cyber guys are going to turn out to be incorrect about whatever they say about Maricopa and I think election. Uh, so things are bubbling up. You know, 20 uh, in... Fulton County, Georgia, a judge just gave permission to open up all the all the absentee ballots in Fulton County. Well, the judge who the Mississippi judge who did that discovered 78 percent of them were, were fraudulent. Uh, two days ago in New Hampshire, there's an audit going on there and they ran the test ballots through the machine. Seventy five Republican test ballots. It turns out machine reads 28 percent the other 72 percent it discards i'll tell you something no one has yet this will make this will make big news on your show i'll tell you something no one has yet and this is not coming out of maricopa i'll make clear it's coming out from cyber people involved with machines elsewhere do you know in gaming this is big news i mean this will get repeated all over we've not yet released this but i'll give this to you guys do you know what in gaming what an easter egg is that expression no i don't hidden information not information. It's like if you're going to approach the great castle of doom at the volcano in the game, if you know there's a little trick, if you click on this rock at the same time you lift this flower, yeah. you know, a passageway opens up and you get through. But it's not in any manuals. It's only people who built the game know it and they whisper to their friends. So that's called an Easter egg. Well, I'm having cyber people who are involved with these machines and in other parts in the country they are finding Easter eggs in the machine, such as if you give the command to the machine, uh, to the scanning part of the machine, not to see red ink. What it really does is it just stops counting any Republican votes. 
there's another command that if you hold like control four at the same time, you hit this other thing, boom, it just erases Republican votes. There are mach- Why do they even build that functionality into a machine? The, there are developers, code guys who are finding these Easter eggs buried in the code on these machines. So, the, so I just, it isn't just, but what's, these are anecdotal at this point. And remember the right. has fought for five months for, for a group of people who sold us machines saying, Hey, there's always a paper ballot backup. And anytime you want, you'll always be able to open the ballot and, and check the Since November 4th, they've been fighting teeth, toes, and fingernails against anyone doing that. So it's been very slow. But we're there now. And it's, and there's another dozen counties and states who are calling us and wanting help for their own audits. And these audits are now just at the point that they are surfacing this kind of information. So I expect all hell to break loose because I know more information that's coming out. All hell is going to break loose. So right. and, and, and invest, inv- investigations take time, right? Proper investigations, they take time. I know everyone wants immediate answers right now, but but realistically, like these things do, to do an investigation of anything takes time. Especially and so, a subpoena and you have the federal government itself threatening to that, you know, the, threatening you. It's especially so, hard to do an investigation. So your goal with all this is to to show that, to show, look, this was a fraudulent election. This is how it was done. And um, we need that? to... Have a new have, new election, at least in those states, six states, and whoever wins wins. Actually, less whoever wins wins. Just let's have we have to have a paper election, paper ballot election in at least those six counties or those six states, and whoever wins wins. I'm fine with it, but you can't you can't go to bed on an election that's that's got this much nonsense in it. So so today is we're recording this on May 26th, and May 25th was the anniversary of the start of uh when the when the founders actually sat down on the constitutional convention right so they're sitting there doing this in the 1787 or whatever it was right i think and and going through and you know you're to take that historical perspective about what these guys were doing in that room trying to come up with something arguing for for months on end over this stuff i mean you they were trying to plan for this situation, right? This is this is what they were trying to do. Now, a couple hundred years later, seeing how that plays out, it's 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 you know it's it's pretty incredible. It's remarkable for sure. To go, how do we have this process? And I just thought it was interesting to, that you know it just happened to as we're talking, you really be around that that anniversary of that date. Let me throw let me throw in some quick response to that. By the way, they did make provision for a state election. And they saw a day that maybe an election would come out with so much corruption, so much tumult and disorder. I think they called it in Federalist 60 or something, somewhere up there, that, that the states would have the, might have elections that degenerated in tumult and disorder. At the end of the day, there is a failsafe. You can have a state's election, which is done in Congress. That really is what should happen. That's what should happen. And you have each state gets one vote and they vote for the president. You go with that. And that's the failback. That probably should happen. And listen, I'll accept any outcome. I'll accept any fair outcome. Be one broad or whatever. It's not about that. We have to have this process. So, gentlemen, it's been so I want to repeat how much your course that we sat together for three days, how how myself and the people who were in it have gotten such just the other day. We were actually mentioning to each other how we how we're using these techniques. I want to thank you very much. I do have to run off now. Yep, I, I appreciate you for coming on, Patrick. Thank you so much for and thanks for the for enjoying the, the the course. We're glad to hear that and for having these conversations. Again, I was fascinated with some of the ones we had when we were in person and some of what you're talking about here. And and you know, it's 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 good that we have these dissenting voices and people screaming, going, "Hey, take a look at this. We need that." And then everyone gets to decide, you know, whether or not they want to hear it, believe it, or whatever. Right. Yeah. So. Thank you. And like, have me back after July 4th and you can find out if I was bluffing or not about big you, news. You're, you're, you're welcome on here anytime. We want to deep dive any one of these issues. Patrick, you're always welcome on the show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Brian. All right. Nice. Thanks Thank a you, lot. Sir. Have a good one. Immediately following this discussion, Greg and I decided to record our initial thoughts about the interview. So I'll leave you with a few minutes of that discussion. If you'd like to hear the entire 25 minute conversation, you can head to the left of Greg Patreon site and listen there. You will also be able to find all kinds of human behavior related content on that site. Thanks again for tuning in. Please share the episode with your friends. And if you enjoyed the discussion, please leave us a positive review. 
case yet. Exactly. <laughs> Save everyone but, does but that. Our though. confirmation like, yeah. bias is yeah. so human. We're such fragile little snowflakes. Right. That every time something happens, you know, like like Brian, uh, uh, this year I, I decided to buy the plants from a company that shipped me the plants uh, uh, and their annuals or whatever they come up every year. I don't know the term. Yeah. Because Shelly and I have had the worst luck here at Rogue Manor West putting in plants, and one of two things happens. Either it gets so cold, it was 36 yesterday morning, okay, and it kills everything, or uh, a moose or an antelope comes by and eats our garden, right? Yeah. So we went the other way, and we put plants in. And sure enough, one of the gosh damn plants that I put in that says full sun, doesn't matter about water, UFO interference, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, asexual reproduction, yeah. it could yeah. withstand nuclear attacks, nuclear right? Blast. I went out and it's dead. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Very first thing I did is I looked at the close, closest chipmunk and I said, you chipmunk bastard. You Why do bitch. you listen? Yeah. So the attribution of mm -hmm. fundamental attribution error and the cogn cognitive oversight that happens when we say this is my confirmation bias. We don't look at those. We come up with a low calorie intervention and that's our knee jerk reaction to a thing. And I'm telling you right now, read these books that we're talking about, because if you read the books, well, you'll come away we, with more questions and then you'll, you'll have a reasonable conclusion. Well, and we brought up a lot of the stuff that we talked about with this, but I mean, you brought it up and said we kind of planted that we said look there's things like fundamental attribution error there's yep. things like confirmation bias yep. you said you even said it which is my quote too when i read it, it was like it reads like a spy novel well, it a, does. Spy, a spy novel that didn't that those aren't real it's a novel like and, and that's yep. what it, that's what it meant to me and it, and that's not not being disingenuous or saying this didn't nope. these things didn't happen i'm just going like there's 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 always elements missing and i tried to kind of talk to him about it how we go well if just just wait because next week or next month this is what those groups do i mean th that's 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 how you keep a plot line going that's what a tv show has to do that at the end of that or you're not going to tune into beverly hillbillies in next week when exactly. so and so and you see that dramatic clip and goes oh my god i gotta i gotta be i gotta be here next week at this time I mean, that's that's what you're doing and and that's why it comes across as very disingenuous right but but here's the difference in that brian you and I know the person making the statements. If the person making the statement, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example of what we're talking about. Shelly and I are outside in Colorado, uh, especially where we live in Colorado. There's not a lot of light pollution. So all yeah. of a sudden we see this massive thousands of UFOs following each other through the sky in a channel, in a lane that's probably, I don't know, as wide as I can hold my arms above yeah. our deck yeah. uh, uh, from horizon to horizon. And it's so profound that we both stopped and just marveled at it. So we go inside and, and search the news and the news says, Oh, it's a satellite array that whatever that company yeah, the, is uh, SpaceX or something. Yeah, something exactly. And it's yeah. towed and it's a hundred miles long by this. And I don't give a shit about numbers. Folks yeah, don't get me. Whatever but is, the yeah. idea is that even though I knew what the answer was, yeah. I was still dumbfounded. Yep. So if you tell me it could have been a thousand UFOs, and can you tell me that there's a significance between the lights? Run? That's fraudulent. You know what it is, and you're lying about it. I don't think Patrick Byrne is. I think Patrick Byrne has the inside track to some information that's not readily available to everybody else. And with and his we see political that. mind, no, and it tended to show him an opinion, and he's offering us his opinion. And I think he's doing it uh, uh, genuinely. Thanks again for tuning in, folks. If you want more information, please see the episode details.